Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am so grateful you're here this week. Not sure if you noticed, but we just entered into season two of the podcast. So this is episode 63, and it's hard to believe that the podcast started a little over a year ago, and we've been here week after week, and you've been here week after week with me. And I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful for all of my listeners. And I'm especially grateful for those who take a moment to not only subscribe to the podcast, but to also leave a review. So I want to give a shout out to Emily, who recently left a review. And her review says, I love how relatable every topic you discuss is. As a mom to two boys, one just starting his teen years, the three-part series on having difficult conversations was especially helpful to me. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to leave a review. And I'm so grateful that you found that three-part series helpful. And for those of you who haven't heard that series and want to go back to it, um, it's episode 56, 57, and 58. So head on over there and listen to the three-part series on how to have difficult conversations. I cover, you know, how to have difficult conversations both at work and at home. So Emily, thank you very much. So speaking of seasons, we are in a new season. It is spring. And I don't know about you, but when I think about spring, I think about moving forward. I think about everything blossoming. I think about getting outside more and exercising and I just think about kind of this newness and freshness. And whenever I think about spring, I also think about spring cleaning. So I thought this was the perfect time to have my next guest on the show. And my next guest is Dr. Regina Lark. Regina is a speaker, an author, and most importantly, she is a professional organizing and productivity consultant. So what does that mean? It means that she has a team of people that help you get your car parked in your garage, that help you reduce all the clutter in your home or your closets or your spice drawers. Or if you have a family member who has hoarding tendencies or if someone's passed away in your family, her team comes in and helps clear the path, which is her company name, A Clear Path. And I love Regina and the work she does, not only because she helps people get organized, but she gets beneath the clutter to really figure out what's underneath all of the disorganization. So she works in collaboration with mental health professionals to address holistically the issues of or the challenges of disorganization. She's been featured on Amy's hit television show, Hoarders. She's been in the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times. She's also the author of a book called Psychic Debris, Crowded Closets, The Relationship Between the Stuff in Your Head and What's Under Your Bed. And in 2020, for the third year in a row, she was identified as one of LA's 20 best professional organizers by Expertise.com. And a few years prior to that, she was named one of LA's top 10 organizers by CBS News and was awarded the most innovative organizer. I loved our conversation and I loved having Regina on the show. 
And as always, I want to give you something to think about as you're listening to this episode, because I always challenge you with a question to think about for your own life and your own development and your own growth so you can lead your life. My question is, what do you need to give yourself permission to let go of? I want you to think about as you're listening to this episode. It's really important. And I can't wait for Regina to dive in about a quarter of the way through the episode, a third of the way through the episode, when she talks about the things that we save for someday and the process that she takes you through to think about what that really means and how to really let go of the clutter in your home or your office, wherever you are. So let's dive into the episode with Regina. I'm super grateful she was on the show this week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Regina, I'm so glad you're here today on the show. I'm thrilled to have you. And I would love to just start out by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in your career. That's a loaded question. Hi. Good morning, Natalie. It's really nice to be with you. And thank you so much for an opportunity just to to have this conversation. Uh, Absolutely. I uh, So how do I start about how I started? Uh, At the tender age of 50... I had visited a good friend of mine in Jerusalem that summer, summer of 08. And uh, actually, I wasn't quite 50. So the summer of 08, I um, at that moment, I am employed as a director of programs at UCLA Extension. Uh, And the reason I had that job was because one of the criteria was uh, a PhD, and I have a PhD in history. So I was at this job that was not a fun job for me for a variety of reasons, not a great fit. But in the summer of 08, I went to Jerusalem to visit a good friend. And while I was there, I said, Nadra, I don't want to be a tourist today. Why don't I do your kitchen? And she said, Habibdi, what does that mean? And I said, Nadra, your girls are in their 30s and you got sippy cups in the cupboard. So just let me do what I do. (laughs) And so she reluctantly agreed. And I spent the day decluttering and organizing her kitchen. And I'm just wired that way. It's a thing. In my family of origin, there are six of us, four of us are like me, and two of us need us. So I've never thought about it. It's just how I'm wired. So I did her kitchen, came, she came home, good result. And I just went on with my business and I went back to my desk at UCLA. And one week later, I learned that my unit was being dismantled and my position eliminated. And I was, oh, nice. The goddess of jobs had just done for me what I could not do for myself. And so over an eight-day period, I I left the institution. And two months into my layoff, uh, it was the summer of 08. It was the beginning of of that recession. 
and I I wasn't working and I'd never not worked. I've been I, I had a job from the time I was 14, you know. So uh two months into my layoff, I told my roommate, I'm gonna organize until something better comes along. And we looked up organizers in the zip code we were in. First person was Catherine Macy. And Catherine Macy is a friend of my roommate. And she didn't know she was an organizer. She just met her in a different capacity. Catherine has okay. a PhD in mechanical engineering. And I'm like, wow, organizers are smart people. And uh, we called her up. We walked over to her place for dinner that night. I looked down an alley and I thought, if I'm going to have a business, it's got to start with the letter A. So I came up with a clear path. And that was almost 13 years ago. And I have created um, a queendom. <laughs> okay. I I love how you took this situation that was, you know, for most people, they would be freaking out and they would be very distraught. And I love that you just said, you know what? The goddess did me a favor and did something I couldn't do. And you used it as this opportunity to pivot in your career. So I absolutely love. <laughs> well, it wasn't you know, quite that intentional. I had to eat. <laughs> it wasn't right, an opportunity right. to pivot. It was buy groceries. So it really <laughs> one had nothing to do with the other. I mean, I created the first book. I, I've only read a couple of books on how to be an entrepreneur. And one of them was um, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. And I read the mm -hmm. book. And then at the end, he, he writes, read it again. And so I read it again. And I did everything in chapter two. And then because I have to eat, I created a meetup group called um, Think and Grow Rich, a chapter by chapter book study. And I I just put it out there. I got free meeting space at an assisted living community in Westwood. I just asked, yeah. so can I meet? Uh, I charged 20 bucks a session and I consistently had like eight to 12 people each session. And so I was guaranteed grocery money that week. And what the, what meeting and teaching did because I'd been a community college adjunct professor for 20 years. So I know. If you read ahead, you can teach anything. Yeah. What teaching the material from Think and Grow Rich did for me is it completely solidified the mindset for success. And it gave me opportunities to come up with my own definition. What is a successful month? For me, it, mm -hmm. it came down to a successful month is the month I don't borrow money from my dad. I've never borrowed money from him. So every month has been wildly successful. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's perception. It's mindset. Yeah. So I love that. So you've been so you started a clear path. 13 years ago. And so tell us about your business and what specifically you do and who you serve. When I started this business, the very first few jobs that I did, I was, I was um, observing a type of clutter and disorganization that I didn't understand. I'll give you two quick examples. One was I was working with somebody in her home and there was a lot of paper clutter. And so after our session, we decided that her mail was going to go here. And 
the recycling was going to go here. And we worked on a lot of her mail and we booked another session. And I said, before I come back, why don't you work on this pile? She says, great, no problem. When I returned, I saw that not only had she not worked on that pile, but that she also had piles around that I hadn't seen the week prior. And we talked about that. And I learned that she um, is subject to being easily distracted. She um, doesn't have a good relationship with time. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And then right after that, I worked with somebody else and she told me, uh, Natalie, I had only been in her place for like 20 minutes. And she holds up this art artifact, whatever it was. It could have been her mom's eyeglass case. Right. Mom had passed a long time ago. And she holds up this eyeglass case and she says, this was my mom's. Is it okay to let it go? And I Mm. thought, wow, you've only known me 20 minutes. And you're asking permission to let go of something that probably wouldn't have stayed in my place for more than a day. Right. So without judging, labeling, or, you know, deciding who she is, you know, that's ridiculous. Right. Um, I learned about an organization called the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. And it's where professional organizers meet mental health professionals. And it's a collaborative learning training. So as a result of these two particular clients, whose relationship to their space and their clutter was interesting. And Mm -hmm. I earned certifications to work with people with what I now know are brain-based conditions. So people with ADHD or executive function disorder or anxiety, depression, folks who are in major life transitions, marriage, death, birth, divorce, but sometimes people dealing with micro transitions, wake up, get dressed, walk out the door. You know, all of these ways in which our brain allows us to, the reason why you and I are on this call on time is because the part of our brain that deals with our relationship with time is operational. Or we have figured out enough prompts to get us to the call. So our clientele became and was and still is folks with brain-based conditions. So we work with the chronically disorganized. And I describe the chronically disorganized as people who were born with a brain type that they've never felt like that they could get their shit together. They're always late. They were the kid that their mom, their parents sent them to the room to clean it and nothing happened. (laughs) It was a playground of interesting things to, you know, Pay attention to not hang up the clothes. And what happens to that child, um, unless they have learned to really manage the behaviors that manifest as a result of these brain-based conditions, they're going to have a really, really hard time. Uh, And so I have now 13 employees. We crawl all over all over Southern California. They're called the ninja organizers. And it's it's helping people who 
really feel paralyzed with the act of starting a declutter project, continuing a declutter project, or getting to the end of their declutter project. And that is similar to how they work on all projects. Mm -hmm. A lot of our chronically disorganized folks have all kinds of projects all over their house. Right. Right. And are you t- are you typically working, Regina, with individuals in their homes yeah. or are you also working with organizations? Uh, individuals in their homes, although we have some companies that um, we work with every year to transfer, to get um, files archived, you know, get them out of the archive. They're very good at um, uh, uh, um, moving out, you know, putting into storage uh, the documents that they don't need you know, so they have a year's worth of documents and they're constantly moving things out. So we'll work with them on that kind of paper transaction, no stuff and get it into boxes and storage. We have gone into companies to work with their employees to clear their spaces. Um, I used to, well, when I first started, right, I got to eat. So I'm coming up with all these ways in which to connect. And because I had um, really good relationships with people at UCLA, I used to um, run uh, Clear the Path Days. So in those first few years as an organizer, we would have Clear the Path Day. I decluttered the Alumni Association, the Department of Transportation, um, Office of Residential Life, the Dean's Office. They would close down for the day. I would work one-to-one with the with the employees that are just like, I don't know what to do. And then I would pass the cubicle with the employee that says, I'm good. This is great. I love having a day that I can clear my own path. So we've got a big job coming up in Long Beach uh, next year. This is how far we had to plan in advance. Um, it's the uh, Long Beach Department of Transportation. They're moving into a new space. And so we're going to be doing okay. their packing for them. Wow. Uh, Wow. So yeah, we, we but mostly I would say the bulk of our work is in residential spaces and uh the ninjas and our client are required to sign off on our COVID protocol so we can be in their space and um and it's it's a very joyful experience actually. Well, so I love how you ended when you said it's a joyful experience, you know, because I mean I think about clutter. And my house is pretty organized, but I would say my closet, and I've actually talked about this on the podcast before, my closet is, and I fully own this, my closet is not organized. It's my one Achilles heel that drives me crazy. But what I love, so I love that you say it's joyful because like I find it (laughs) anti-joyful, anything but joyful. But what I love and why I wanted you on the show today is, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, organizers that really stay at the surface level. They help people organize and they help, you know, understand space and all of that. But I love that you've made the connection between this brain-based theory and when you talk about, you know, getting involved with the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. And what I really hear is that you're getting underneath it. You're you're understanding the why behind mm-hmm. it. And so, and that's what I love. And so I would love for you to share, you know, for people that have anxiety, depression, going through a transition, you know, have ADHD and have struggled, what either what tips or what 
what do you, you know, how do you help them? And also once you help them organize, how do you help them stay organized? Good questions, Natalie. This is what I have observed. If you're somebody with clutter and you have all the books on how to get organized, donate those. (laughs) Those books were written for people with my brain wiring and not the wiring of people who would need somebody like me. So the first thing we usually declutter are books on how to get organized. Because clearly there's not a connection there. Right. I love um, that. Then I think a lot of decluttering, 90% of it is shifting our thinking about what the hell is going on in our space. And I think 10% of it is the actual decluttering. Mm. But we're paralyzed by how we're thinking about it. So here are some things for your listeners to think about. Here goes. First, look around your space and see what you're holding on to that you think you may need someday. Just go crazy. I'm, I may need it someday. If those words come out of your mouth, here's a couple of things. One, see if you can figure out what someday has to look like. Mm. Okay. What does someday look like in order for this to be used? No judgment, no, nothing. Just it has to look like if we're going to use the crock pot, I'm going to have a family. Um, we're going to have a big event where I'm going to make Swedish meatballs, whatever it is. It's an right. item that you haven't used for a long time. Doesn't matter how long that is. There's no rules to this. I think there are organizing principles, but I don't believe in the rules of organizing. I don't believe if you haven't used it in a year, well, this past year, you know. <laughs> We haven't worn 99% of our wardrobe. So, okay, we're holding on to things that we may need someday. Think about what someday has to look like in order for this to be used. And the other question to ask yourself about someday is this. If I let it go and someday comes, what's going to happen? One of the reasons why we hold on to someday is because we have already catastrophized What would happen if someday arrives and I don't have this? So there are these two unknown variables, right? We don't know what someday has to look like. And we don't know what, what, what horrible things going to befall us if someday comes and I don't have this crock pot. Now, right. One of my motivating principles personally is that I have a great deal of trust in myself that I will be able to always take care of my needs, always without, without question. So if I let it go and I need it, can I substitute? Does somebody have one I can borrow? We're often not letting go of items that are $50,000, right? We're letting go of things that we could probably find at Target, Macy's, Nordstrom's, okay? Amazon. So it's not that we are letting go of things that are irreplaceable often. Now, again, this is, I'm speaking in very, very general terms, but, but consider this idea that if you have your hand out in front of you holding on to that, which you may need someday, 
and you're not letting it go because you're afraid, listen to that word, that you're afraid that if you don't have it, something not good is going to happen. So there's this fear of letting go of the future. The future is someday. Then what I have observed is that we hold on to things that came into our lives from somebody or something, an event. It's the guy that I worked with once. He said, Regina, if I let go of all my concert t-shirts, how will anybody know I used to be cool? Mm-hmm. And, and the stuff in our past is filled with the stories of those artifacts. It's the value that someone gave the artifact. Concert t-shirts, cool. Right. Right. These represent who I used to be versus all this great stuff that I've done in my life has made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happens is that we hold on to the past because we're afraid that we're no longer cool. We're afraid that I, I work with a lot of women who have these awesome and expensive um suits <laughs> right from the 80s and well, the yeah, 90s <laughs> but, but they represent your higher income or you know they they have they yep. represent something to us and we're afraid that if we let them go we're not what are we letting go of really so yeah. i see that again this is the mindful part of it i see that a lot of people they have their hand in front of them afraid of letting go of the future they have their hand behind them afraid of letting go of the past And their present is a cluster of clutter. And so this idea that fear is the motivating principle for why we're holding on to things. And again, these are general observations, but I, Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of onto something when I, when I talk about fear, I gave a whole workshop, blah, blah, everything that I'm talking to woman makes a beeline to me. And she said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. But you know, I'm, I'm so afraid of letting go of my daughter's bowling trophies. I said, there's that word. Yeah. So another part of the mindfulness in terms of developing some principles around your relationship to space and, and stuff is to understand that there is a relationship to your space and stuff and the words that we use. I think. There are too many people who are not curious enough about what's coming out of their mouth. Silly things like, I will never walk into a room full of women and say, hey, you guys. Just because I don't see guys. And for me, guys is not a word to mean everybody. And that's that's right. my standpoint. But yep. I bring this up because since that is not my standpoint, that guys is a universal word for people. I, I'm conscious about the words that come out of my mouth. So if there's fear, if we say, I was surprised one day when I came up with this list of metaphors that we use around the concept of time. I have no time. I've run out of time. There is no time. Time gets away from me. I'm always late. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these mm-hmm. ways in which we are using time to help us understand why something's not getting done. Right. So again, these are tips 
to start thinking about what it would mean to clear a path. What would a cleared path look like, smell like? Um, if you have a lot of clutter without judgment, label or resenting yourself, labeling or resenting yourself, walk around to all your spots of clutter and make a list of everything that you want to tackle. Just go crazy. And if you have junk drawers, and of course I have to say, if it's junk, why are you putting it in a drawer? People do. <laughs> but you know, if you have if you have junk drawers in the kitchen, name each one. Okay. So make a list of all the areas that you want to tackle. Then, and this is huge, write down how long you think it will take you to do each project. And I'll tell you why this is important. Because a lot of people with clutter are dealing with some kind of tweak to their executive function. And the executive function, time management, emotional management, sequencing, processing, linear thinking. If you have clutter, chances are really good that you run out of time, you have no time, you don't have a plan. And, and a lot of it has to do with you actually also don't know how long it will take you to do anything. Mm-hmm. Because the task seems so overwhelming. Yes. And you don't have quote unquote time. And I think, well, we all have time. We're not dead. If you're not dead, you have time. <laughs> what's not happening is the prioritization of the time. Yeah. So, what I hear you talking about, Regina, um, I mean, gosh, there's so much to unpack here. You know, as you were talking about looking forward, what, what does someday look like? I'm literally thinking. You talked about a crock pot. I'm literally thinking about the chafing dish that I have. First of all, my garage is pretty bad right now, but I have a chafing dish that's still in the box that I bought from Costco literally probably 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. (laughs) Hasn't been used. Every time I go to clean the garage, I don't get rid of it because it's new. I haven't used it. So when you're talking about, well, what does someday look like? I'm like, you know what? You're right. I could probably borrow one from my next door neighbor Mm -hmm. if I really Mm -hmm. needed it. I could donate it. I could sell it. I could do whatever I want to do with that dang thing. I mean, it's Costco. I could probably even take the thing back. But but the thing is, is that seems like an easy, like an easier choice for me. Like, okay, I can get my mindset around that. When you were also talking about the woman that had a pair of glasses, like her mom's glasses. Like I have a pair of my grandmother's glasses Mm. and it's meaningful to me. I have my old Barbie dolls when I was a Mm. kid. You know, I have things that are sentimental, but they take up space Mm. and those things seem harder for me. And I I feel like they feel harder to most people, right? It's a chafing dish versus a glass, you know, my, my grandmother's glasses, you know, from an objective point of view, there's two objects. They mean something totally different. Sure. So how do you help people like the woman with the glasses that you were talking about? How do you help people like myself and like that woman kind of go through the process of having the mindset of potentially getting rid of those glasses? Or what do you do with the glasses? Again, so much of it is how do you want to live moving forward? I think it's fine to keep whatever you want. But if these items are in your way, if you're, if you're stubbing your toe every time you round the corner because 
the, I've seen this, the beautiful concrete Buddha, <laughs> right? That was in your mother's garden. You know what I mean? So, so right, yeah, right. you know, and then I also get the symbolism of the Buddha. You know, I, I get all of that. So it's how do you want to live moving forward? For the things that you you treasure and cherish, that uplift and elevate you, is it enough for it to be out of sight, out of mind in the garage? Is this something that you want to display? So it's coming to terms, again, thinking it through. You can't mm-hmm. see it, but on my wall here, I have draped um, a, a thing of peace flags, different mm-hmm. languages. Okay. And this, this draping of the flags were the, the flags were put over two bushes that as I'm walking up to the campsite for the 2009 Michigan Women's Festival, my sister had created my campsite for me. Aww. So I walk up to my campsite and there are these flags. You bet they're going to have a prominent place in my home because of their meaning to me and the sentiment and the ways in which language is used. All of the things that feed my heart Mm -hmm. have a prominent place. Now, I have two bins of memorabilia. They are contained in two bins. I gave myself permission to have two bins worth of memorabilia. That's my thing. Right. So that when I moved from a house to a one-bedroom apartment, I brought to that apartment my, I think I had six or seven bins of memorabilia, just high school, my sister, you know, just everything. (laughs) Everything. And what I did... I remember this so well. And this was, this was, uh, not, I wasn't even organizing then. I was still living at UC, I was still working at UCLA. What I did is I took each bin and I dumped it over and I laid everything out and I made my own rules. And I decided each sister, I'm going to keep enough memorabilia from each sister and each sister is going to have their own gallon size baggie. So, Whatever I had that spoke to me, like, oh, my gosh, this is so Michelle. My sister Michelle has this habit of buying cards, and she'll buy cards with, like, faces on them or, you know, and she'll cut out pictures of us, and she'll put us in the (laughs) – and it's memorable, and I want to keep it. I don't keep the cards that say, love Mary. Right. So each sister has her own gallon-sized baggie. I put all my grandparents, they all died very, when I was young, before I was 20, I lost all four of my grandparents through illness and whatever. Well, they all get one baggie, all four grandparents. You know what I mean? My each. So I came up with my own ways and whatever I have saved now has tremendous emotional value to me. Mm -hmm. I don't need to have it displayed. Right. It's enough that it's in the bin. But again, I gave myself two bins. Right. So one strategy 
is to quantify what does it mean to have enough? How many artifacts of a beloved relative is enough? You may keep the empty perfume bottle because that smell always reminds you of your mom. Mm-hmm. And let go of the glasses case. Right. So uh, it's so much of it is how do I want to live? What really speaks to my my heart about these things? Um, how do I want to move about in my space? And yeah. and if coming to answers, if getting to the answer to these questions is also is still a challenge, then bring in a professional. Bring in. Um, a good mental health professional to help you work through some of your, these emotional relationships. Um, you know, we want, we work with clients and I'll be sitting on the floor and we're pulling stuff out from under the bed. And I don't know if I'm about to pull out a box of trauma, whatever that is. It could be, mm-hmm. it could be letters from, uh, a boyfriend that had a, that ended up abusing you. I mean, there's all kinds of trauma in our lives. Yeah. I, I have a client that, that literally that just happened to. I have a coaching client who her mom died. Her mom was very abusive. Mm. And their, her mom's letters are in her closet. And she found them. And it brought up a lot for her. And she didn't know if she should burn them. She didn't know if she should keep them. She didn't know if she should toss them. And it we had a whole coaching session about it because it was just like you said, she opened this box and it was a box of trauma. Yeah. And so very I'm I, I love what you're saying and I love what you're saying about, you know, also having mental mental health professionals help with this because it's deeper than there's obviously the clutter, but then there's the underneath emotional the emotional effects of what that clutter means and what we make it mean to ourselves. You mentioned time management. And I really want to, because it seems like these two are very connected. The the clutter, the decluttering, time management. Um, And specifically, you know, I, I have a daughter with ADHD. And so she was the kid that, and I've talked very openly about it on the show. And so did she. You know, she she was the kid that went to her room and and, and it was go clean your room and her room was always a wreck, um and and she just would never you know her cleaning time was she she had fun in there yeah. but nothing ever got done she's consistently late she's gotten much better but how do you help someone that does have problems with executive functioning and ADHD? Um, what kind of guidance do you specifically give to those type of clients? Well, a lot of it has to do with um, how much work they're willing to put into making substantive changes because it's never a one and done. Mm-hmm. It's it's coaching. It is um, being observant. You know, when when we're working with people with executive function dysfunction and say everything is clear, the path is clear. And like the example of the woman I told you with the mail, now what I suggest to people, I didn't have answers for her then, but now I say over the next six to eight weeks after my team has come in to clear the path, over the next six to eight weeks, 
see if you could develop a consciousness about pretending you're a drone and observe you, hover above you and around you. What the hell are you doing at home all day without judging yourself, labeling yourself, resenting that you're not doing X? Just kindly and gently observe yourself. I mean, again, mm-hmm. it's part, it's a process. So yeah. you can say, so if, if, if I had been able to give that information to the client early on and I come back the next week and I see piles of mail, I can say, well, what did you observe about yourself? Right. Oh, well, when I, you know, one day I brought the mail in and the phone was ringing and I just set it down. Good information. Okay. Just good information. And then what do we do with that information? So the first part of this is observation. Uh, a, a, a kid with ADHD goes into their room to clean it and it's not happening. What are we observing about what's happening there? How many distractions? Should the parent just hang out and lay on the bed and talk while the kid is, is um, doing the thing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it about what we're doing It has everything to do with paying attention to the words coming out of your mouth, paying attention to how you move through your space. And I can't say this enough. Don't judge yourself. Don't label yourself. Don't resent yourself. Just observe yourself. Mm -hmm. Kindly and gently, just observe yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to give it a, you don't even have to do anything when you've got a lot of clutter when you write down, just observe where the clutter is. And if there are parts yeah. of it that will feel particularly challenging, like I was talking to a woman yesterday and she is so sick to her stomach at the state of her garage. Honestly, Natalie, she called me sobbing on the phone. And I said, why are you crying? She goes, this is so mortified. She was so embarrassed. And I said, all right, all right. Put both feet on the ground and take a deep breath. It's just stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the stuff was pretty much everything from her mom's house. And her mom's been gone for 10 years. Mm. So there's a whole other layer of stuff in there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. The stuff is never about the stuff, right? It's, never, it's the stuff underneath. It's the never stuff. about, I, I'm, I'm writing a book uh, right now and it's called emotional labor. Why women's work is never done and what to do about it. And there's a part of the book. It's like, okay, if we're not going to do anything about the tension in the house and the, the division of labor and all that, if we're not going to do anything about it, what are the consequences of not taking action? And, and, and the next line is ask your divorced friends because it's never about the glass left on the countertop a hundred times. It's, it's the yeah. other adult in the house that is not hearing your pain about the glass on the countertop. So it's never about the stuff. <laughs> Never. Nope. I'm divorced, so I can relate. <laughs> so yeah, I can, it's about I can relate. It is. It absolutely is. It's about you know I've you know uh, you actually recommended um, 
a book for me, the, the Fed Up book, um, about emotional labor. And because I had actually never heard that term before, and you and I had a great conversation about it. And so tell us about your book and when it's coming out. And, you know, yeah. David, and it's funny that you would mention um, the book Fed Up because the author is Gemma Hartley. Yeah. And I heart Gemma Hartley. I, I, I have such a high regard for her. And I quote her throughout the book. And um, two weeks ago, I went to her website and I'm like, dear Gemma Hartley, she's on my calendar to interview for my book. Oh, I love that. Ah, when I saw her email in my inbox, ah, my heart just fluttered. So, um, so the book I should have, uh, I want to, I want to be hosting my book signing in October. That's my goal. That's, that's great. So. That's great. And so do you have a title yet? Yes. It's called emotional labor. Yep. What women's work is never done and what to do about it. So part one is the narrative. Why do we call it women's work when you don't need a vagina? You just need an operational executive functioning. You know, I, mean, I I'm so struck by that. Well, why is it women's work and what is men's work? And you know, um, it's work is what it is, right. is work. Exactly. You know? No, exactly. Um, well, and it's funny because I remember my mom, my, my parents had a very traditional marriage. My dad worked outside the house. My mom stayed home. There was definitely a mom. Wait, wait. What's so interesting is you said your dad worked outside of the house yep. and your mom stayed home, yep. which is such a passive thing. Right. Instead of my mom worked, worked inside the house, right? The exactly. And and so <laughs> no, and it's so true. And and my mom worked so much, and she and that's why I'm always you know I like that you talk about being intentional with language because I worked in a very male. I'm diverting a little bit, but I worked in a very male dominated business, and most of the men in leadership, their wives stayed home, and they worked. You know, they were working at home moms. And so I would always ask, um, oh, so what does your do? I would say, does your wife work outside the home? Because mm -hmm. that was my way of acknowledging that his wife is working inside the home. And I was right. always very conscientious about that because it going back to, you know, my parents, you know, my mom or my mom had very traditional female gender roles in the house. And, and so did my dad. My dad did the outside work. My mom did the inside work. And it's so interesting because my kids now, I've asked them throughout the time when they've been little kids until now, I'm curious, do you see that there are gender roles within our home? <laughs> and they literally have said, like, we don't even know what you're talking about. Because my <laughs> husband does just as much laundry as I do. You know, he will, he does the dishes. I wash the car. You know, I mean, we do different things that were traditionally different. And my kids have no clue what that what those gender roles are in our home. And I I'm my husband is <laughs> um, he he doesn't even know what a screwdriver is. I'm the one that fixes the sinks like I'm the one that unclogs the drains and I do all that. And so it's just interesting because my kids have no clue what what even gender roles are in the home, which I think is just interesting. But um, but I love what you're talking about. I love the message about emotional labor. Um, I know that you've also written um, other books. So do you want to share with us a little bit about your 
history as an author. Yeah, in its third edition, um, it's called Psychic Debris, Crowded Closets, The Relationship Between the Stuff in Your Head and What's Under Your Bed. <laughs> and it's everything we just talked about. And you can get it on Audible. Uh, and uh, it's it's um, every time I learn something new about this work, uh, I create a new edition for my book. <laughs> no, I... I love it. And just to circle back a little bit on the time management thing, and I think I'm probably asking more for myself. Because, you know, when I when I was working in corporate, I was traveling all the time. I was a road warrior. I would come home. I would be exhausted. I'd have laundry to do and stuff to get done and mail to catch up on and everything. And I did have my I'm proud to say my bathroom is very clean and organized now. But, <laughs> but at the time, my bathroom was very disorganized. I, I was always in and out of a suitcase. And I was always, and my husband has always been very accepting of that. And it never bothered him, but he would always say, you know, if you would just put things back, like right when you use them. And I was like, you know what? I don't have time. I'm too busy. And so what do you say to the mom or the working mom or the professional woman who? especially during COVID, because we know that women have taken on a lot of the emotional and physical labor of the house. They already had it. And then take it on. It was thrust upon them. As one said, nobody asked us if we, no one asked for our, if we were okay, that the schools closed. Right. Right. Not like took it on. Right. It's like, Boom. Exactly. Exactly. And so what do you say? say, How come the other adult isn't putting it away if they know that this person has a challenge? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in a, um, I had a woman call me so upset, so frustrated. The house was just um, a cluster of clutter. And she said, my, it doesn't bother my husband. So I went over there. This is last year. I went over there. And we were in the living room and it was a condo and the kitchen was like behind me on the couch. I was on the couch, the kitchen and the whole dining room table was just filled with life and, you know, electronics, pacifier, books, mail, everything, a bib, everything, glasses, everything on the dining room table. Right. And it was killing her. I mean, she was a reflection on her as a woman. It was a reflection, you know, this is, these are the cultural and social messages that, that we have not come out from under the yoke of that. So it's really bothering her. And he's like, ah, it doesn't bother me. And I got so mad. (laughs) I said to him, how come your wife's pain doesn't pain you? How is it that you're not taking on her pain? And doing everything in your power to ameliorate that pain. He goes, but I wake up with the baby every night so she can get her beauty sleep. Oh, And I said, what are you doing the other 90% of the time? That's minuscule. Important, but minuscule compared to the waking hours of your day. Yep. So one of the things that I do not get and on, on many days makes me grateful that I'm a single woman is that I have come across 
so many families, adults in the house, where one person's pain does not mean that the other person really steps up and tries to help. And I don't get that. Mm -hmm. So when I hear somebody say, just put it away, well, hell's bells. If it was that easy, I would do it. (laughs) So clearly something isn't, there's something going on with me that doesn't. So can you just do it? You know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I think because we continue to see so much of the work inside the household as women's work, mm-hmm. um, I'm not clear why the other adult in the house just doesn't step up and do it. Yeah. I, I don't get that. No, I, I completely agree with you 100%. <laughs> I'm boggling. No, I completely agree with you 100%. And I, I mean, I will tell you that was... You know, when you talk about it's the it's never the glass and it's never loading the dishwasher. That's really the issue. And then, you know, women are made to feel like the nag. And why are you bothering me about this or whatever? And that's a big reason why. You're not made to feel that way. They're told that. Exactly. And that's and that is a big reason why um, my first marriage ended. And and I feel so blessed. And my husband, my current husband and I talk about it all the time about how he saw when we first got married, how stressed out I was with, you know, two kids, two young girls and trying to manage, you know, being on the road and being a road warrior and work and, and life and everything else. And he has made it his goal, which I'm so grateful for, to take most of the physical labor in our house to free me up to literally focus on the kids and to be the mom I want to be. And he is so intentional about that. And we've had conversations about it. And um, I'm so grateful that I I do have a partner that has owned and taken on you know my pain with regard to the struggles of what it's been like to be a, a working mom and a, and a dedicated mom and all of that. So I feel very, I feel very blessed, but I think a lot of women do suffer with partners and spouses who who don't help but also um don't care to help because they just not that they're not helping they're not partnering. they're not partnering exactly the, the, the work isn't being delegated exactly so ask for help it's still our job exactly we're still owning that nice meaningful husbands will say how can i help it's like effing take it on exactly you live here. When the pandemic hit, I was so intrigued. When I saw the workplace come into the kitchen, the traditional workplace is now in the kitchen and the living room. Ironically, before the pandemic, women who asked for flex time were seen as not as motivated, right? Yeah. They're seen not as dedicated. And now everybody's home. So when everybody went home, I thought, this is interesting. Will the invisible, and I call the invisible work of emotional labor, are the things that we anticipate, we have to think about, you know, what size pants the kid wears. Um, you know, it's it's anticipating, it's it's being able to, you know, your working memory is always on overtime, it's doing all the tasks. It's the invisible work, um, making the grocery list, all of that. So when the pandemic hit, I thought, oh, is the invisible going to become more visible? 
is the other adult in the house. And I keep wanting to say other adult, even though I'm actually referencing men because the majority of men are not partnering. Mm -hmm. Will the other adult now see the invisible? And it turns out, Natalie, no. I am on all of the Google alerts that talk about labor in at the home, in the home front. Mm -hmm. And while men have stepped up to do more of the child care and more of the cooking, yep. they're not stepping up to um, do the cleaning yep. and the appointments and the, you know, all of, you know, it's never, it's never take the dog to the vet. It's setting up the appointment, making sure, you know, it's, you know, that, right. You're a coach, you know, that you start from the back (laughs) and work forward. So, um, so this has been just a very interesting phenomenon and I'm, it's been interesting to see how it's been playing out uh, in households across the country. So what is your recommendation for women to, um, you know, have their partner uh, be more of a partner? So one fun suggestion, I think it's fun. So if anything I've said resonates, (laughs) which I'm sure it resonated for everyone, I would recommend this next step. Ask your spouse to play this game. And the game is this. You go into separate rooms and you write down everything you believe that you do at home. (laughs) Everything. Write it down. And then compare lists. Done. Then you might need a therapist. And I'm not (laughs) kidding. I'm I'm not kidding. Because what happens is that you have talked about it. You you have asked. You have talked. You've asked. You have. We have a chapter in the book called Nag, Bitch, and Shrew. And I think, why are all these um, terrible names that reference women, why are they all animals? <laughs> right. Right. Again, so, you know, right. there's so many layers to this. So if a couple five, 10, 15 years into their, into their relationship are going to do these, um, this experiment and writing down everything you do, chances are really good. Y'all have talked about this ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. But objectively writing this list, see what happens when you sit down and compare. And if a fight is about to ensue, find a good therapist. Yeah. Because love and um, commonality, I mean, a lot of stuff gets people together. Yeah. How do you retain that? By maintaining your sense of identity, by feeling that you are as equal a partner in this household, that the disparity or the difference in your income doesn't mean an unshared relationship to the work at home. Mm-hmm. Because the salaries may be different, but the amount of time that you're putting into these jobs are usually pretty similar. Again, I'm speaking in very generalized terms. No, I, I have several people in mind that I think will find this episode specifically <laughs> very useful. So 
Regina. No, Regina, I really, really appreciate it. I really do. Um, What parting words of wisdom do you have as we're kind of coming to the close of our call today for my listeners and how they can how they can move forward and also how they might connect with you? Okay, so parting words is quit judging yourself. Easy enough. (laughs) Period. Succinct Succinct and easy enough. It's true. It's true. And how might people reach out to you um, if they want to work with you? Google me, uh, Regina at a clearpath.net. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Just go to my website and you find me. Perfect. Well, Regina, it was a pleasure having you today. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us. I look forward to potentially having you back on the show when your book releases and we can talk more about emotional labor and yep. really, you know, dive deeper into that subject because I think it is such a, a pain point for so many women and I, it, and a discussion that really needs to be had. So thank you for giving us a top line overview, but would really like to dive in deeper uh, once the book releases and we can talk about it. Thank you, Natalie. This was such a great experience. This hour went by like, I know. I can't believe it's 11. It's, it's an hour later. I know. I can't either. It was great. It was, <laughs> I loved our conversation and thanks for being here today. All right. Have a really wonderful rest of the day. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.